Hello, I want to preference this podcast by saying that I recorded it while I was kind of sleepy, while I was sitting in bed, and I think the lesson from it is that if you want to do podcasts right, you get a good mic, you sit up straight, you sit in a chair, and you have a plan beforehand, so uh, thank you for putting up with it. If you want to skip this episode, that's fine. I think the first two minutes are the most beneficial anyway. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you later. And actually, the last four and a half minutes are pretty good, too, so I would skip ahead. Hello, and welcome to the Honest Politics Podcast. My name is Alex Gamsik, and I am the founder of Honest Politics, LLC. My company does high-level political consulting, but not for politicians. My services are for everyday Americans just like you and me. So let's get started. This time, I'm going to be reading a paper that I wrote during my first policy class in grad school. It is a policy memo about increasing voter turnout, specifically in Ohio, but it's also applicable to most states in this nation. So I'm basically just going to read through my policy memo. It's pretty long, so bear with me, but I'm hoping to use this format, at least, to keep looking at policies and see what could be best, because this is one way to, even though I didn't have data and hard numbers, thinking through it like this helped me solidify how I think about voting policy in this country, and I'm hoping to do the same for other policy issues so I can cement my own opinions on the subjects. So here we go. The introduction, this was addressed to John Husted, who was at the time Ohio's Secretary of State. He might still be, I don't know. This memo recommends removing voter registration to increase voter turnout in Ohio's federal elections. A system of mandatory voting would be ideal, but this program would be far too unpopular to implement. So at the very beginning of these policy memos, you want to put your recommendation because if John Husted or some other important person was reading this, they might only read the first page or skim the first few sentences. So you put your most important part up front. You also want to be sure to use um, simple language so that it could be read quick and it could be read by anybody. American elections have consistently low turnout rates, ranked 31 out of 35 developed countries by Pew Research Center. Low turnout contradicts America's status as the world's first modern democracy. It produces a government that does not fully represent its constituents. Citizens who do not vote do not contribute to the political process. These people are not responsible for the benefits nor the consequences of their elected officials' policies. Each state makes its own electoral policies and learns best practices from other states. Ohio's turnout rates have been better than other states, ranking 11 and 12 out of 50 states in 2018. 2008 and 2012. Improvements to Ohio's turnout rate would signal to other states how to increase their turnout. As a battleground state with a large population, Ohio is a valued prize for presidential elections. Ohio has been a focus of media coverage on presidential elections because, quote, no Republican has ever been elected to the White House without Ohio. I like how I cited Cezilla in here, even though I've learned within the last couple of years, apparently, he's not a great source of info, but this is 2016. I was a naive little grad student. Anyway, the candidate who won Ohio has always won the presidential election every year since 2064. I mean, 
1964. It's important that as many Ohioans as possible are represented in federal elections, both presidential and congressional. Ohio's turnout during the 2014 midterms was 36%. Turnout this low does not allow candidates to receive the full scrutiny of Ohio's voters. This memo seeks to undo that Democratic deficit. And now sitting here in 2024 years later, having recognized the value of local elections, I wish I had included stuff about local elections in here, but you learn more as you get older, I guess, right? All right, so this section is called Current State Policy. Federal law states that voters must be 18 years of age, <laughs> of age and a U.S. citizen. Registration requirements vary from state to state. North Dakota is the only state without registration. And I cited North Dakota, which <laughs> is a citation, I guess. Elsewhere, individuals register within the state of their residence. However, five states authorize the DMV to automatically register the residents that they serve. In Ohio, registrants must be a U.S. citizen 18 years old, an Ohio resident for at least 30 days immediately after the election, not currently incarcerated for a felony, not declared incompetent by appropriate court, and not having been banned for violating election laws. These requirements are not as strict as a state like Alabama, where a felony disqualifies a person from voting for their entire life. A registration form may be printed online and print submitted in person or mailed to the individual's county court of elections, board of elections. Online registration is not, will not be available until 2017. The form requires basic information like an Ohio's driver license number or the last four digits of their social security number. In Virginia, a full social security number is required, which makes people hesitant to register should the form be misplaced. And I actually did some voter registration drives in Virginia, and I know it, part of the reason it was hard to register voters there was because if you voted, if you tried to register someone in person, you would have to give them your full social security number, and people were hesitant to do that just for some person doing a drive, you know, outside a mall standing there with a clipboard, so... Things like this are things that lower voter turnout, even though you might not think they would directly. They do indirectly. So back to the paper, 15 states require identification at the polls, Another, and this is all 2016 data. Another 16 states require a photo ID, and 29 states have no ID requirements at all. Ohio requires either a government-issued ID, a utility bill, or a bank statement to verify the voter's address. Ohio allows absentee ballots by mail with no excuse necessary. It is one of the 27 states that allow no excuse absentee ballots. Ohio's in-person voting occurs from mid-October through Election Day. This 30-day window makes it one of the easiest states in which to vote early. Ohio's polling places were open from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. on Election Day 2016. This groups Ohio with at least 40 other states that were open from 12 to 13 hours, so it does not have restrictive voting times. I remember looking through all the voting times and seeing that I think it was Indiana had polls open from like 9 in the morning to 6 at night, which basically means if you work a full-time job, you're not really going to have time to get to the polls, which is completely ridiculous. In my opinion, polls should be at least open for 12 hours on election day, and I think in New York State it's open for 15 hours from 6 in the morning to 9 at night. I think that should be the standard, honestly, so that everyone has a chance to vote either before or after work. 
Even if you work two jobs, you should have time to go and vote. The voter turnout rate for Ohio's presidential elections outpaced the national average by 25 to 6.5% from 2000 to 2012. Midterm elections exceeded national averages between 2002 and 2014 by 0.2 to 8.2. Although this places Ohio slightly above the national average, it's still far below the voting rates of other advanced democracies. All right, so now we get to the problem definition and failure frameworks. Only 58.6% of Americans in the voting eligible population participated in the 2012 presidential election. Even fewer voted in the 2014 congressional elections at 36.7%. Since the Civil War, turnout for presidential elections have been significantly higher than turnout for midterm elections. Presidential turnout is also higher in Ohio with 65% of the VEP, which means voting eligible population, voting in 2012, and 36.2% in 2014. Congress is an important part of the federal government and should not be receiving fewer votes than the president. If more people voted, elected representatives would advocate for more moderate positions. Since registering and voting take individual initiative, the people most likely to vote are also the most motivated. Those people are usually motivated by more radical positions, so they elect more radical candidates. Data from the New American National Election Studies 2012 shows that voters are more polarized than non-voters. Uh, to better represent the people of America, more Americans need to vote. In Ohio, higher turnout means candidates who better represent the I residents of Ohio. Low voter turnout in Ohio results from the same failures present in the greater United States. The most problematic of these is that voting is a public good. Everyone benefits from the results of an election because no one is excluded for not voting. Representatives are elected whether an Ohioan votes or not. Public parks, highway construction, and tap water regulations benefit everybody who uses these services. As with most public goods, voting is subject to free riding. Some people have pro-social preferences that predispose them to contribute to public goods. Those who do not are less likely to vote. Voting is a preference-related problem because for young people, voting is increasingly viewed unfavorably. A lot of this is technical policy analysis jargon, which is why I'm trying to read it slowly. I'm basically making the case that because voting is a public good and people can free ride off of that, it's easy for somebody to not vote and still get the benefits from it because other people will vote for them. But I'm also trying to make the case here that if more people voted, their preferences would be better reflected within the people that they elect. And because only the most motivated people are the ones going to vote, the people who are being elected by those voters are not representative of everyone who benefits from public goods like free tap water and regulated roads. All right, back to the paper. Over half of the millennial generation is independent, showing a lack of commitment towards a political party. Over the past 40 years, voter turnout has been significantly lower among 18 to 25-year-olds compared to those 25 and older. Although older people see voting as a merit good, exemplifying one's civic responsibility, young people often see it as a demerit good, exemplifying one's alliance, allegiance to an ineffective establishment. 
Another failure is that there's a thin market for representatives in national elections. Although a primary race may have six competitors or more, few of them have a fighting chance. In Ohio's congressional races of 2012, no third-party candidate earned more than 5.1% of the vote. In Ohio, national elections have few electable choices. In economic terms, thin markets allow a few companies to set prices and products without variation. This forces customers to accept a limited range of product choices, and that parallels to how few political candidates offer a limited range of policy solutions. So this is basically saying a thin market means you only have two or three choices at a national election, which limits uh, representation and freedom. In fact, an economist economist would say that individual voting is irrational. The costs of voting far outweigh the potential benefits of influencing an election, even for a swing state like Ohio. In the 2012 election of Ohio, over 5 million votes were cast for president, meaning the chance of casting the winning vote was less than 1 in 5 million. Even in the smallest Ohioan congressional election, almost 300,000 votes were cast. Kruger and Alvesito suggest that people choose to vote through a combination of group identity and an inflated perception of their vote's worth. The American Psychological Association lists many other theories political scientists and psychologists have concerning voting. For example, turnout is higher when the race is more competitive because people perceive their vote to be more important. Another policy failure is the inequity of opportunity. A study reported by the Associated Press found that voter ID laws exclude young minorities from voting. Courts struck down some of these laws because they target certain races. Such unequal policies suppress voter turnout by blocking a portion of the population from voting. There's also the matter of unequal citizenship, which only permits U.S. citizens to vote. Non-citizens are able to use the results of an election as a public good, even though they're not allowed to vote. They also face the consequences of legislation they have no control over. United States territories like Puerto Rico are not allowed to vote in national elections. The denial of voting rights to U.S.-occupied territories contributes to the unequal citizenship problem. These failure frameworks contribute to the low voter turnout throughout the United States and must be taken into account when crafting policy. Thank you for listening to that. That was not even the first half, but we'll keep going after this message break. And we're back. So now we're going to get to more sections of this policy memo. The first of these sections was my favorite. It's called mapping the problem. Many factors depress voter turnout, but market failures have an influence on nearly every other factor. Voting as a public good creates free riders. The thin markets for candidates limits voter choice. Preference-related problems make voting unpopular. And inequality of opportunity leads to vulnerable populations. Vulnerable people such as the poor, who are disproportionately minorities, are easy victims of voter suppression. Republicans suppress minority votes because they tend to vote for Democrats. After the Supreme Court struck down part of the Voting Rights Act, many counties that were removed from Justice Department oversight cut the number of polling places in 2016. Voter suppression in Ohio occurred mostly through identification laws and the removal of Golden Week. Golden Week was a period of time where a person could register to vote and cast an early ballot on the same day. 
Originally, this was meant to shorten the lines on Election Day, but Ohio removed this law in 2014. Reinstating the law would increase voter turnout by decreasing the confusion over voting procedure. However, removing voter registration should have an even more pronounced effect than same-day registration measures. So some solutions, this is the solution section, where you compare um, different policy alternatives or policy solutions, however you want to say it. There are many ways to increase Ohio's voter turnout. The first would be to make voting mandatory for all eligible voters with a $20 fine for those who do not vote. In countries where voting turnout is mandatory, like Australia, Belgium, and Bolivia, federal voter turnouts are greater than 85%. The penalties encourage turnout even though they are not like even though the penalties are relatively minor. In Australia, the fine for not voting is about 20 US dollars. These disincentives would work on Americans as well. The disincentive of a 5 cent plastic bag tax has proven effective in reducing the number of plastic bags used. Compulsory voting also turns voting into an opt-out system. People must choose not to vote and take the $20 penalty. This measure would also address the issue of low voter turnout as a public good. With registered voters forced to either vote or pay a fine, no registered voters would become a free rider. This option would also mean every voter is automatically registered to vote. At age 18, all eligible citizens would receive a mailing list, a mailing that lists their uh, polling place and location. Another way to address the issue of low voter turnout would be to remove voter registration. North Dakota did this in 1951 and its turnout has been usually and has its turnout has usually been higher than the national average. A rational person would be more likely to vote because without needing to register, there is a lower opportunity cost to voting. This option has a similar effect to reinstating Golden Week because it removes the barrier barrier of a separate voting registration process. Ohio's vo- registration deadline is 30 days before the election. Early voting begins on the same day that registration ends. From 2005 to 2014, early voting occurred 35 days before the election, and in those first five days, voters could register and vote at the same time. This was dubbed Golden Week and lowered, okay, I'm repeating, but it lowered the cost of voting by combining the individual burdens of registration and voting. Golden Week was removed in 2014, and that year's voter turnout was 36%, when the national average was also 36%. During Golden Week's reenactment, I mean, during Golden Week's enactment, Ohio's turnout was regularly above national average, so reinstating Golden Week would increase equality of access among minority voters who may not be as familiar with the registration process. A third measure to increase voter turnout would be to mail the results of the most recent federal election to a registered voter's home. This mailing would be on one page, easy to read, and include a large circle in one corner of the page. If the recipient did not vote, the circle would be read and contain the phrase, you did not vote. If the recipient voted, it would be green and say thank you for voting. The mailing would educate voters in a nonpartisan way about who their representatives are and the number of votes for each major candidate. The circles provide a feedback mechanism that encourages good voting behavior and discourages non-voting behavior. Although statistically a vote for federal office counts for very little, 
the voter may be encouraged to see down-ballot races and how their vote has a greater impact there. So that policy option where you mail someone that kind of sheet with that information, that was kind of my brainchild. But in D.C., at least, you do get a little card that says to remember to read, to vote. So it's kind of something that happens already, but I thought it would be a cool little way to remind people to go out and vote and to encourage voting behavior. Back to the paper, a fourth measure would be to mail ballots to all registered voters two weeks before Election Day. Oregon, Washington, and Colorado follow this procedure, and they exceed the national average for voter turnout. By mailing ballots, all voters will get two full weeks to decide who to vote for and when to return the form. This removes an inequality of opportunity because voters are not restricted to voting on one day or at one polling location. Costs to voting are removed because it is faster and simpler to vote from home. Oregon does not cover the cost of postage, but it does have drop boxes where people can typically deposit their ballots. The proposed measure would have a similar system. Any of these methods would increase voter turnout in the state of Ohio. So next is a logic model, which I had a little less time understanding. It's logic, assumptions, and risks in three columns, and you have to have the risks feeding into your assumptions and your assumptions feeding into logic for each of these policy ideas. And I'll just read the written thing I have for it instead of trying to explain the graphic. Below is a logic model for the option to mail ballots to all voters. Researchers have noted that high cost of voting and demographic differences diminish voter turnout. This model indicates that mailing ballots to voters would lower costs to voters and create greater equality. Since there are many assumptions, there are also many risks to this policy. The risk of mail service error is very low because 99.4% of mail was delivered within three days of the standard service time this quarter. However, mail, I mean, people who are not familiar with the policy change may be confused when they receive a ballot in their mailbox. Other members of the household may coerce a voter. Lastly, a voter may accidentally vote by mail and in person. Because of the many risks and assumptions associated with this model, it would be difficult to implement in Ohio. Okay, now on to the criteria, because now that we have our problem definition, our failure frameworks, and our policy options in front of us, we have to judge all of them by a criteria. So here we go. Ohio should use four criteria to measure the effectiveness of voter turnout policies. It's important to note that uncontrollable events will have an unpredicted impact on voter turnout. In 2012, 35% of, un of likely voters said inclement weather would have a moderate to significant impact on deciding whether or not to vote. The first criteria will be to maximize voting eligible population turnout. Maximization means 95% turnout rather than 100% due to uncontrollable factors that prevent people from voting regardless of the policy. The indicator to measure turnout rates shall be the number of people who voted divided by the number of the voting eligible population. The voting eligible population shall be defined as number of U.S. citizens over 18 who are mentally capable of voting who have not lived who have lived in Ohio for 30 days, who are not currently incarcerated for a felony, and who have not violated voter laws. The second criteria will be to minimize costs to government per percent increase in turnout. The specific indicator for this shall be the number of dollars allocated to election activities divided by the percentage of VEP 
turnout described above. I'm going to try to talk through this as fast as I can. Number of dollars allocated come from Ohio State budget, specifically from two sections, Ohio Elections Commission and related line items from Secretary of State. The focus on governmental cost effectiveness is more important than cost to voters because voters do not face many monetary costs in Ohio. Beyond postage on an absentee ballot, the greatest cost to voters is opportunity cost associated with taking the time to research candidates and visit the polling place. The third criteria will be to increase administrative feasibility. This applies to the statewide administration as well as the localities that assist in carrying out the elections. For instance, Mahoning County's election website has links to the Ohio government's website that are broken. <laughs> so uh, since local governments operate the elections, any change made by the Ohio state government will have to be implemented by all local governments and polling locations. To indicate administrative feasibility, the number of polling irregularities, errors, and complaints to the government should decrease. Sources of administrative errors include the number of mail ballots rejected, number of provisional ballots rejected, registration problems, disability-related problems, and voter wait time. These indicators should all decrease. The fourth criteria will be to increase equity so that everyone has an equal right to vote. The, voters, the pool of voters should closely resemble the voting-eligible population of Ohio. To measure their, this resemblance, the demographics of people who voted should be compared to the demographics of Ohio's voting-eligible population. Demographic categories will include race, gender, and age range. The variance between the voters' demographics and the VEP's demographics will indicate which groups are turning out more or less to vote with respect to their Ohioan populations. As an increase in voter turnout approaches full voter participation, the demographics of that participating of those participating should also approach the demographics of Ohio. If a certain segment of the population is not voting as much as others, this means voter turnout policy may unfairly work against that segment. These four criteria, voter turnout rate among the voting eligible population, cost to government, administrative feasibility, and equity, are all crucial to completing an outcome matrix for voter turnout policies. And next is when I created the outcome matrix, which basically ranks all the policy alternatives based on the criteria that I just stated. But, important to remember, every policy analysis must include the policy alternative of doing nothing, of keeping the status quo. Let's go to the recommendations, which is the final results. If you ignore political feasibility and constitutionality, mandatory voting with a $20 penalty and automatic registration results, in the highest turnout increase, generates the most revenue and greatly increases equality. This is the best policy to fix the fundamental problem because it directly addresses the market failures created by a voluntary voting system. However, 72% of Americans oppose compulsory voting, so removing voter registration is recommended instead. Removing voter registration would increase turnout, simplify the process, and save money. Ohio's current leadership prides itself on cutting costs, so this has the potential to be politically feasible. Saying you have to vote or you're going to be charged $20 is the best by far. It's the best way to conduct elections in this country to make our representatives representative of who we are, to make this democracy work. 
And I fully believe that because I spent a lot of time researching this and I was kind of surprised when the outcomes matrix was um, created. Just the hard numbers and evidence show that's what would happen compared to every other way to fix our voting system. And there are other ways to patch it up and make it better, like mail-in ballots, removing voter registration, um, mailing people the election results, uh, even things like increasing polling times, increasing early voting. There, there are ways to make it better to patch it up, but automatic voter registration would be the best. However, we still live in a democracy and forcing everyone to do something, even if it's for the betterment of the democracy, doesn't always work. If 72% of Americans are opposed to force to compulsory voting, I don't know how it's going to make it through this system. I don't know how it's going to make it through the Supreme Court if, you know, right now we have a conservative Supreme Court. You know, all it takes is for one person to sue the government saying, oh, I can't be charged this $20, this isn't constitutional. They strike it down and it's all over. Just because it's the best policy doesn't mean it's the best policy for this moment. Should there be a liberal Supreme Court? Should there be a public campaign that increases the number of Americans who think mandatory voting is okay? You know, you need to do the activism to warm this idea up to Americans and change the culture of this country. And then you might be able to do this. It might be politically feasible and constitutional after changing people's minds. But of course, some people would argue that the leaders need to change people's minds by trying to get this through the Supreme Court first. Um, it, it's all a little complicated, but mandatory voting would be best, but automatic voter registration is the next best option, and it's the most politically feasible. So thank you. This is one of my... Uh, I think one of my best papers, even though I wrote it relatively early in the um, grad school process, so I wasn't even close to being a master of public policy yet, but I learned a lot from this class, and going through this entire policy analysis process is the best thing you could do to look at an issue and really research it, not just research it, but compare all the options with specific criteria knowing the market failures that each one presents and, you know, seeing what actually is the best policy. And once you have the best policy in mind, use some polling numbers to see if this can actually happen. Um, and if your first or second choice can't happen, what are some other options that could be used? And how can we get this passed? Thank you for listening to the Honest Politics podcast. Thank you for wading through this dense policy work with me. Now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And uh, come back next time as we seek to discover more of the stories behind these statistics.